You want another pro tip? Coffee mugs are good for Darth Vader. The force is strong with this one. <laughs> Very good. Wow. Good to know. That's, that's, that's a all, good one. That's all I got, man. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into I Don't Get It. This is a podcast about performances or lack thereof in Edmonton. Uh, we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. My name is Fonda and my co-host Paul is going to be part of our interview today. So we'll get to that shortly. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a week, folks. We are just over a month into this pandemic era around the world. Uh, and as usual, our theaters and live gathering experiences have all been uh, shut down. Some things have moved online where possible with mixed results. And while creativity hasn't all been canceled, there are trolls of the internet that have still found ways to disrupt Zoom events and performances and, and other happenings. Um, in these past weeks, we've been talking to folks who have been affected by the live performance shutdowns and what they're up to now. Uh, and our guest today, who I think most of our listeners will certainly recognize by voice, uh, he's been pretty busy of late. He's heading up Dynasty's new weekly improvised soap opera. Um, the episodes are available uh, on um, on YouTube now. Uh, he's written for the Beaverton and CBC Radio and is perhaps best known here in the city for his work on The Irrelevant Show. And as past host of CBC Edmonton's Radioactive. He's also produced and performed in fringe shows, emceed pretty much every event in the city at some point or other in time, uh, and he was a really fun and friendly face that Paul and I would often see when we used to do that thing where we sat in theaters in large groups. So um, in this conversation, we cover so many things from the nature of laughter um, to how improv works on Zoom to what the Sterlings might be like now that the season is pretty much over um, and uh, the impact of the Fringe being canceled also. So now, for your listening pleasure, from the safety of your homes, everyone, I will call for applause again in introducing our guest because applauding is something we all miss doing. Uh, so please give it up if that's available to you. It'll drive your pets wild. Here's our chat with Peter Brown. Peter, how are you um, filling your days in this strange world we, we find ourselves in? Um, at the moment, I'm lucky that I have a project to work on that I'm quite interested in. I'm doing a documentary for the CBC radio program ideas about the evolution and brain science of laughter. So I'm doing, I'm looking at lots of sound waves and I'm reading about what happens in your brain when you laugh and why it's infectious. And it's pretty fascinating and is going to keep me busy for a couple of months and after that, I'm free for whatever you need, Paul. If your car is dirty or you need someone to count backwards from 20 seconds while you wash your hands, I can do any of that starting in July. Great. That's exactly what I'm uh, looking for right now. Um, out, of, out of that sort of initial research that you're currently doing, is there any like nuggets or two that have really stood out as surprising things that you've discovered um, while looking into laughter and these sorts of things? Uh, yeah, several things. Um, so there were two kinds of laughter. There was a guy named Robert Provine, who was the pioneer scientist in this field. And he determined that there's social laughter, which is when you get together with friends and are just chatting. And what he did was actually take a notebook 
and record people laughing and ask them what happened right before the laugh happened. And 90% of the time, it wasn't in response to a joke. 90% of the time in public, you are laughing to signal agreement or support or affection. So if it's a first date and one of them is laughing really hard, the other person is hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's just that the date is going very well. Um, that kind of laughter, and stop me if this gets monologue, I'll try to keep this tight, um, is the same as speech. It operates the same way in the body and, and in the brain. But there's another kind of laughter, the pee your pants, milk comes out your nose laughter, ideally at the same time, that goes all the way back to apes and rats and works completely differently. So there's two very different kinds of laughter, and both of them are social glue. So in some ways, laughter can be used like sort of as a filler as parts of speech. And then there's sort of like the instinctual, the like the reflex that you get when you find something very funny. Yeah, it's um, if you listen to people talking, you, you'll notice how much this is happening, how much people are laughing, not at jokes at all. But, oh, yeah, I've been there. And this used to be scary when I was on radio. I don't know if you find this, but if you ever tune out a little bit or if you're in studio and someone comes in your ear and is talking and someone says something that has the rhythm of a joke, I would go, <laughs> and then I would think, oh my God, what did that person just say? Like if they said something socially horrific, I just consented with my laughter to something I didn't even hear. Um, <laughs> another really interesting thing is that um, the brain is wired to laugh when you hear laughter, especially the gasping laughter, and it processes that as noise. But for some reason, we have mirror neurons that want to make us echo back other emotions, and that's part of the reason you are helpless with laughter when you hear someone else helpless with laughter. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's fascinating. Uh, well, speaking of laughter, though, you are doing some pretty funny things um, all, all during this whole pandemic uh, thing that we're all going through. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about Dynasty and the um, the weekly radio show that's happening. And, and the way it's happening is almost entirely the result of accident. Um, so you remember those couple of weeks when everyone realized we can't do shows with audiences anymore. And luckily, some of my improv shows, uh, there was no risk of a large audience. Those ones were safe. But um, in the case of Dynasty, we were planning to do uh, a radio show because it was this, this season is set in vaudeville times. So it's all like this and huzzah and zip-de-doo. And so because it's set at a vaudeville theater, we thought, it has a radio show within the show. We'll just do a radio presentation. So our plan was to go to the theater that night and we were going to gather around some mics and record a radio show and put it out online. And that was how it was going to go. And about two hours before, a couple of us said, should we really be getting together in a group? Maybe this is too many people. And we all got nervous slash smart and decided to stay home and do it on Zoom and so then we were going to do our vaudeville radio play virtually through Zoom. Uh, Paul Morgan Donald recorded it, and he was responsible for the final mix and putting the whole thing together. And he, watching it back, saw that watching the actors watch each other was actually quite entertaining. So by accident, we're now doing a video stream of a video conference of a 20s vaudeville show, which includes actors in costume with backgrounds of their modern houses. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's, it, it is kind of great. Like, it does look, you know, sort of Brady Bunch-ish when everyone is kind of looking at, trying to seem like they're looking at each other through all the Zoom stuff. So, but let me get this. Is it right to say that the Zoom recording that you're actually doing is not live to anyone else, or is it available to watch? It, like, during, I mean, I mean, as a live thing. Oh, well, um, great segue to something upcoming. We are doing one of those live streams at the National Arts Center. Um, Canada performs. Yeah, we yeah. tried. We tried to do it last Friday, and all sat around for forty minutes while Facebook Live crapped out. Um, apparently, that happened to a bunch of the attempted live streams. So we're doing it again. Keep your eyes on uh, dynastyimprov.org, which I'm pretty sure is our website. And if not, if it's something terrible, I apologize now. Great. We'll, we'll double we'll check get the it. right one in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And how um how have you found uh, adapting to doing uh, a comedy show over Zoom? Like I know this is currently what is happening in sort of the performance world where people are trying to find ways to make um, things like Zoom or these programs that do let us um, get together in a way um, yeah. uh, funny and, and watchable, even though sometimes that screen in, in the past has been has been an issue. So what have you found in sort of doing a comedy show um, in, in this way? What have you noticed? Uh the problem showed up right away, which is if there's any uh, latency or lag, anytime there's a gap, three actors are leaning in to talk at the same time. Right. So we're having to develop some some courtesy and, and hygiene and protocol around that. We've realized three-person scenes are a bit too hard. Uh, it took us a while to crack how you have sound effects and music in real time underneath. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, though, we've done four now. Jesse Gervais has especially has led the way in just finding some delightful games where he will have a wine glass and say, here, take this glass. And if the other person has any kind of drinking vessel nearby, it will appear in their frame. Uh, and so people are now getting up from their laptops and miming things and doing juggling and if there's a kissing scene you see giant lips thrust toward you um it feels choppy rather than smooth mm -hmm. and i always worry with recorded improv that even the best recorded improv seems like pretty good writing at best mm -hmm. so I, I i'm the director and i and responsible for trying to set people up in good situations. And the biggest thing I realized I was doing was a lot of my directions was uh, so-and-so visit so-and-so and they chat about things and nothing happened in the scenes, which was just bad improv, as you know. So not, not that it was bad, but I wasn't giving them everything I could. So now I'm trying to put them interesting places. So-and-so is in a nest up on the catwalk, throwing confetti for some reason. And the more action uh, and the more imagined action I can put in the scenes, the better. Um, in a form that relies on feeling each other's rhythms, it's very challenging being out of rhythm, but we're getting a bit better at that. Uh, and that, that, I think, is the main thing. Yeah, I know um, on the on the rapid fire side of things, we're dabbling with how we can do a performance in, in some kind of way. Um, yeah, and it, it comes back to like trying to find framing for scene, not trying to find out how to do our word at a time story um, over Zoom, but trying to find things that work or that can be surprising or games or or delightful 
in this medium that we can, you know, disappear and reappear and maybe take our laptop to a different part of our house and, and see what that looks like or, or what that reveals like. It's trying to yeah. figure out like a new a new medium rather than yeah. just trying to con- plug the old one into to a new way. Yeah. How how are you finding it so far? Yeah, it's um definitely we've done a couple sort of like practice runs. Um and we're I think we're starting to figure out of the games that we know, which ones don't work on Zoom. Uh, and we're also starting to figure out um, games we can play on Zoom or games that we couldn't have done live, but like because we're these little cameras, um, uh, things we can try and, and see what they look like. Uh, and some of those have proven like the most, uh, have had the most satisfying payoff, I think, uh, are the ones wow. where we're just like, yeah. all right, great. Um, if if one person is a newscaster and we can throw to the sports anchor, like what does that look like? If if you know you're the sports anchor, where in your where in your house can you go to try and make that seem like something other than someone just like sitting there with their headphones talking with another person about a scene? Right, and and for me, I don't know if you're finding this, but you know, this is not going to get a million views and get made into a movie. What this is great for is for an hour of recording you're fully in the moment and that I, I would keep doing it forever just for that. You, you don't get the hang after the show, but you do get the right now I'm trying to figure out how to get the walrus guy in the same room with the captain. Yeah. And you're not thinking about, you're always aware of why you're doing the show this way, but just that creative workout, what Kathleen Rootsart calls creative yoga is so rewarding. And our, our most interesting, um, our most fun experience was when the live stream crapped out and we thought, man, let's just rock, rock off a little episode. We'll just do like a half hour of scenes. And it was so loose and so full of fun and play that it just reminded me just be in it and just project play and that will lift. Mm-hmm. That was something I sort of wanted to put out both to you a little bit is um, what is the, you know, what is the reaction been like to audiences that you have seen watching this, all the improv happen after the fact? Um, because the improv in itself seems to me, it needs to be live. It has to be, you know, like happening in the moment. So, so ha- Peter, have you had any feedback from audience or um, anyone on, on what they're, what they're thinking of the, the packaged episodes after they come out? The only feedback I've seen comes from the regular viewers of Dynasty, the attenders who would be there if they could, and they're quite liking it. Um, I find the show really fun to watch, and you get to watch Mark Mir listening to someone else's scene and find out where he laughs. So people are who know the show are enthusiastic about it. I haven't heard much beyond that, but this this live stream will be a big test. And I think we're aiming to make it as accessible and wide open and not reliant on current plot as possible. So not much fun, but the regulars are glad it's there. And one thing I've uh, noticed is that the, the era that Dynasty happens to be set in this year kind of works quite well in, in a way. Um, the, like the voices and the style and the cadence of, of that sort of 20s era of Oddville um, do translate uh, somewhat through the, through the screen and through the Zoom. And also what was happening at the time. I mean, the bars were closed because of prohibition. They had just come through Spanish flu. Um, there was false, false confidence about the economy. So exactly 100 years ago was 
not a million miles from where we are now. And it's true, that kind of, this kind of speaking cuts through a lot of microphones and screens. So that's my announcer voice. Although, as I'm sure you've noticed, Paul, it turns into Don Pardo by about the 20 minute mark. Yeah, All of a sudden right. it's like, moving off. <laughs> well, you know, but we I mean, could use a little more Don Pardo voice in our life, I, I think. I made a big discovery. If you talk through a toilet paper roll, you sound much more 20s-ish. Paul Blinoff presents Toilet Paper Rolls, making you sound a hundred years old. It really does. Wow. that's. Uh, I also appreciate that you had a toilet paper roll right near you for this purpose. This is my what's beside me on my desk are sticky notes with the names of all the characters and my toilet paper roll, because that's what it takes to direct a show. Great. This is great. In this pandemic age, you know, that's all you need for props beside you, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that I assume is why there's a run on toilet paper is everyone's directing vaudeville themed uh, online radio shows. They want the the toilet paper hold the the roll part, not not the actual toilet paper. Yeah. Well, because as soon as you use it once, you have to throw it away, right? No, this is a... It's been too close to your face. Yeah. No. Well, uh, yeah, at some point it gets soggy. Let's not, let's not lie. It's like a, (laughs) it's like um, a reed in a brass instrument. Yeah. Eventually to replace it. uh, Right. I love the idea. Uh, There's a lot of thoughts going on in that comparison. Um, One thing that really does make me think of in sort of the greater improv world is that uh, Keith Johnstone, the guy who invented theater sports um, uh, when he was at Moose Moose in Calgary, one of his big things is um, they would always just have like props within reach. Um, They would have a bunch of stuff. And his thing was like, surround yourself with things that can inspire you um, to give Mm. yourself tools that like, even though you're doing this scene, uh, if you have that spark of like, oh, if I could do toilet paper voice, um, toilet paper roll voice, I'm sorry, um, to have that within arm's reach so that you can, you don't have to spend 20 seconds running through your house to find it or, you know, the back of a theater in that case. But uh, you you can just reach and grab and, and have this thing. And you don't know what you're going to use or what you might need, but uh, surround yourself with some options so that when something comes up, that creative little twinge in your mind can, can be uh, uh, achieved, I guess. Yeah, and that's a thing I'm trying to get better at is leaping at something before I know what I'm leaping at. Mm-hmm. You pick up the the Rubik's Cube before you have any decisions about what role that's going to play in the scene. Actually, coincidentally, I think the greatest improv thing I ever saw, I don't know if you heard about this, it was in Chicago, it was called Stolen House. Okay. And these amazing improvisers took over the set of a play that was currently running and it was like uh, TJ and Dave and Scott adds it. Um, Stephanie Weir and her husband were in it. Um, And every night the director would put something different on the set. And that was where the action would always start. And it was amazing watching the biggest improv brains in the world. And I don't know if this is germane to what we're talking about at all. um, Take these props and spin them into a full two act play. That's cool. That's kind of like, um, well, maybe not exactly like what happened at the Sterlings last year. Um, To shift gears just a little bit, Peter, I did want to ask you about um, the Sterlings because I know that you're on the Sterlings jury. Yeah. Uh, And I think that that's kind of a, being on the Sterlings jury is a unique experience in itself um, as like an Edmonton theater goer. Do you want to, do you want to sort of give people, uh, our listeners a little bit of a sense of what it's like to be on that jury? 
Yeah, so the the Sterling Awards are, of course, the big theater awards at the end of the year. And there's a group of, I don't even know how many people uh, there are on this. It's kind of a born identity thing. I don't know who else is on the jury. Um, but you go to see, you're asked to see at least 75% of the plays in Edmonton in a season. And there are a couple months, October and kind of January, February, where you're seeing three shows a week and you quickly learn to start a spreadsheet and to take very careful notes and to keep all of your programs because it all, like I was just looking through some of my programs and it just becomes a blur. Um, I did it because I wanted to um, see if I was inspired to get back into some writing and I had been missing theater in my old job. I used to see a lot. Um, And it has been for the most part, really positive. I'm sure the two of you find this, but you can tell in 90 seconds when the lights come up, if this is going to be okay. Uh, (laughs) And 95% of it has been really good and interesting. And the part of me that kind of yearns to be a writer is always watching with interest, you know, what, what choices are being made. um, What's this person doing here? What's that character doing? The part of you that's a juror if the action loses you a little bit, you start noticing costumes and lights and other categories. Um, so yeah, I was I was gearing up for this kind of final push for a couple of months, being among crowds of people, enjoying the magic of theater, um, and it all got shut down. But I got to see some some great stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise. Probably some shows you've talked about. I'm sure some shows you've talked about. Yeah, well, knowing and knowing that now the the well the season is not moving forward anymore, and even the award ceremony, I'm sure that they will find some way to pivot it online or do some other kind of presentations with the shows that did happen. Um, is there anything from the season? What what are some of your notes from the season? Because we all probably saw a lot of similar, uh, yeah. most of the same shows um, up until what March 10th ish, right? <laughs> Uh, the best singing I have ever heard on an Edmonton stage was six. Mm-hmm. They sang, can I swear on this? Yeah. Oh yeah. They you sang you the can. shit out of it. Like it was, that was in terms of production. I thought that was on a level that, that we had not seen. Um, I really liked uh, speaking of the Citadel. I liked um, the cost of living. I thought Ashley Wright was great in that. Um John Elliott in Every Brilliant Thing was a, a really winning performance. Tell me if I hit something that you absolutely disagree with. Um, Coralie Cairns I've seen in a billion shows, and I don't think I've ever seen her better than in The Roommate, the Shadow Theater production. Um, mm-hmm. One I really liked. What did you two think of this? Titus Buffonius. Were you fans? I thought I I enjoyed it. I mean, I th- the person that I went to go see it with, actually, who talked about it on the podcast, she did not enjoy it as much. Mm. Um, but I, I quite liked it. Like, I, I loved the cast. Um, you know, Robert Benz is just fantastic in pretty much everything yep. that he touches. So I agree. I was a big fan of that. And Hunter Cardinal also, I thought, did really well. Yep. Um, actually, that the entire cast of that show was was great. Um, uh, yeah. And as a fan of Titus Andronicus, um, I thought that it was kind of a, a pretty good send up. Yeah. Uh, Colleen Murphy did a, did a good job of it. Yeah. I just thought, um, it was really, um, interesting to me. I'm not always, um, uh, Buffon is always like a, a big, a big risk for me. I feel like, like I, I do like clown. I quite like clown work, but I find, um, thematically or often what it targets in the modern day sometimes gives me pause, 
Um, but I kind of like this idea of like a Buffon look at Shakespeare and these stories that we hold up as these like, uh, you know, incredible tomes. And this is the world's, you know, greatest playwright and all these things. And sort of like really looking at like, and sort of taking the piss out of some of the absurdity of, of scripts like Titus, where it's like, look, what is happening? There's yeah. ketchup everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they chose the right Shakespeare for this. Just the mm. preposterous uber violence of the script um, was just rife for pushing it those couple levels further. I share your apprehension going in and the last scene, the ketchup bloodbath was, mm -hmm. was glorious. And also the quiet moments where they all would huddle in and sing beautifully. It stayed, it, it kept me interested the whole way, but I know that, I know that apprehension walking in. Mm -hmm. um, I also saw a couple of shows where I just thought the company was great. Um, I don't know if you saw Crave. Yeah. Yeah. We did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought the company in that was really good. And there's, there's a young actor who I do not know, um, Alex Dawkins, who was great in that and also in the Ballad of Peachtree Rose. And she is, if you're looking for, if you're looking to name a rising talent, oh, hold on, rising talent, she is definitely <laughs> one. She's the Robert Benz of women 30 years younger. Yeah, I absolutely felt that Alex Dawkins stole both of those shows. There you uh, go. She, yeah, she just completely stood out, I felt. Yeah, and and love to see um, her work moving forward. Actually, the night that we saw Crave, yeah. she did the music She did the music set before the oh, show. Oh, wow. Too. Um, and, and that was, it was great to see her kind of in her own singer songwriter, uh, right? So that was, that was very uh, cool too. I first saw her in 12th night at the university because my friend directed it and she did Malvolio reading the letter about the, the cross gartered, uh, leggings, mm -hmm. absolutely deadpan and serious. And it was the greatest reading of that uh, monologue slash letter reading I'd ever seen. It was like, she's, she's tremendous. Um, you mentioned Coralie Cairns earlier. Um, and I thought, uh, the last show that we saw before all this happened was the children. And I thought that Coralie was really great in yes. that show too. What, a what a weird <laughs> sort of coincidence, the show to, yep. to land right before all of this went down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean the, the, uh, the, the barren coastline and the isolated people after the nuclear accident. Yeah. I found that hard to connect with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What drinking. Thing. Yeah. Drinking whatever hooch they've made in their own closet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see what we're like a couple months down the road. Yeah, here, we're guys. all drinking parsnip <laughs> yeah. wine. Oh, we're, we're all one month from, uh, no, that toilet's not for pooping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that toilet roll. We need that. Don't touch that roll. <laughs> you know, right. Our comedy sounds. Yeah. Well, speaking of, I guess, you know, the rest of the season, the fringe also did get canceled. And yeah. Peter, I know that you've had, um, you've, you've done fringe shows, you've done many things at the fringe before. So, um, so did anything, um, on that front get, get canceled for you this time? Uh, yeah, we were going to do our improvised phone in at spotlight cabaret. Um, cause we really like that venue and we like doing that show and it, it was, it's a fun thing to develop. And I mean, yeah, I've been going to that festival one way or another for 25 years. And when you tell people what's great about Edmonton, it's, you say, just get through the winter. Mm -hmm. And then in the summer, there's a festival every weekend. And I have the mixed feeling of, 
just kind of sadness and unreality that it won't happen and just relief. Like I, if it had been on the edge, if it had been, well, we're going to try the mm. festival, but it's going to be reduced, but we're going to have everyone do distancing and hand wash stations in all the venues. I don't know if I could have gone ahead with that. I just would have been too sick to my stomach about the thought of someone getting someone contracting something at one of our performances. So I'm in this weird place and tell me if you two are where I really miss um, crowds of people. And when I see a crowd of people now, I'm furious at them. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A friend um, on the internet referred to this all as, uh, as, as that fringe news was coming out as uh, the summer of the great pause, um, mm. which is a nice way of thinking about um, that sort of bittersweet feeling you were talking about, Peter, where, all these things that we really celebrate in Edmonton, these wonderful summer weeks of festivals and food and, and gathering um, that can't happen out of safety um, this year. Uh, but, but it is that sense of like, but if they were going ahead, who would go like, and, and how yeah. guilty and strange we would all feel about trying to put on work and even invite people into those situations, no matter how safe we were making them quote unquote safe. Yeah, I mean, how much of what the three of us are interested in uh, demands a group of people gathering together? Uh, almost all is the answer. Yep. Mm, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've actually learned. I learned something in this, even in this last month. Um, I'm, I'm, I think a stereotypical introvert, and I feel most myself in the moment of quiet. But I've realized I feel most myself in the moment of quiet after the public moment. Mm. Like yeah. I like going, getting geared up and nervous for a show and you do the show and then you talk about it after and then you get home and it kind of processes and it washes over you. And that's the, that's the input that my introversion likes. So it isn't specifically quiet moments. It's quiet moment after a non-quiet moment. This has been things I've learned. Yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful sentiment, actually, because I've felt that too, even talking to some other folks who have things either canceled or, or you know, postponed indefinitely, uh, there, there is some sense, a little bit of relief that this sort of frenetic pace of production that we have in Edmonton is is kind of, it's getting a little bit of space, which is, I think, in some ways, you know, kind of nice sometimes we do need time to process you know yeah. what's really working what's going what's moving forward now you know i think that people are going to get really tired of watching zoom or or youtube in the next few months so what's the next step what's what's going to happen for production and um you know interesting you know creative culture after that i think is what's what will be really fascinating moving forward are you feeling uh are you burning to create like i think a lot of us thought we were going to be thrown forward into this void. And then there would be all this time that we could throw our energy and creativity at. And I have not felt that urge. I like doing a little improv thing once a week, but I'm in, I'm in kind of a dampened power down mode. I, I do have friends who are putting out the content, but what, how, how do the two of you feel about that? I think um, for, for me, I'm, I'm trying to find a balance and in the first few weeks, I like wrote a couple sketches and filmed them and put them online and felt good about that. Um, but then, and then in my head, I remember being like, oh, maybe once a week. Um, but then I've very much let that go. And I'm happy that I have, because I think, yeah, it's, um, I don't want to feel pressure to, 
to create right now because it's it is such a, a strange and heightened time. Um, and so I'm trying to split the difference between when something does come up and when when I am feeling inspired or slowly picking away at ideas um, and they get to a point like, great, I'll do something, but I don't want to feel guilty about not doing something because yeah. that just feels like the wrong attitude to have in this situation, which is which is strange. What I hope is that um, we're all sort of thinking about the creative things we do and deciding which of them have the most value and give us the most joy and, and really trying to focus on those when we can again, um, whatever form those take. And maybe that's some online content and maybe it's just biding time and thinking and dreaming and missing our friends. And, and then when we get to have that release of getting back together, really just celebrating that and being present in that. Yeah. Yeah. What I what I've been doing because um, my my main job uh, and and festival Lit Fest happens in October, um, and we are still planning on going ahead with something, um, and trying to be creative around what that plan is, um, knowing that there are still writers putting out a lot of great content, and there are ways to put out content that aren't Zoom and and, and yeah. you know um, other other opportunities so it really is just kind of trying to um, think outside the box and also try and think about you know like we have a, as as a festival producer have a responsibility to and and funding frankly to hire people and to make things go um, and so trying to consider the best way to do that while keeping people safe but also entertained um, those are the kinds of creative things that I'm trying to roll around right mm. now um, and figure out and I, I I think that there's some pretty cool stuff actually that might happen um, for uh, Edmonton audiences that that we might be able to pull off, but I'll have news on that. You know, maybe maybe not on this podcast, but other in other avenues. Yeah, uh, as the as the weeks go by. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I know um the Found Festival, which is a festival that happens in July, um, and it's theater sort of in unconventional spaces. Um, I know they're looking to sort of respond to this in a way. So I'm excited to see what that what that looks like, because they are sort of in a position where they can do that. Um, I think there's really interesting opportunities to to use the formats that are available out there where people can do things with their hands, do things themselves, but also still absorb content either through reading or audio or other things. Um, I think, you know, Paul, maybe the hint out there for found is that it's going to be some kind of immersion based, but you know, in, in ways that are, are secret until, or <laughs> until they, they tell us what, it, what they are. Yeah. Um, but but I think that you know that I feel like is going to be the next cool thing that happens is seeing what um, some of our like amazing creative minds um, out there can do for people when the challenge that's been thrown out is that you cannot gather, um, but you have you 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 can do a lot of other things, especially in and outside too. So yeah. so what is that? I'm really looking forward to, and I'm sure you are, Paul, a time when the format isn't the content when there are sketches that aren't here's a funny sketch about every zoom meeting and all the frustrations when people actually start treating the tools that we have now as a medium but that the ideas that it takes on might be something other than being shut in your house and using this medium right that it's not mm -hmm. referencing the fact that we're in this situation that it's just saying okay these are the tools these are the benefits of those tools let's play to that 
Yeah. Did you see the uh, Saturday Night Live where they were all at home? No, I haven't watched it yet. No. Yeah, there was one one sketch I really liked was Kate McKinnon was doing uh, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg workout. Okay. And so her <laughs> her her dumbbells were Q-tips. Yeah. And she was just blast. And so it was just a silly workout sketch, but it never they did a lot of the sketch everyone is doing. It's like, okay, oh, oh, Dave, you're on mute. Like, I don't know how many sketches have had Dave, you're on mute, but it's millions. Uh, and I don't have any better ideas than that yet, but someone will at some point, And I desperately look forward to seeing them. With pod power, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, we're giving a pod power shout out to Overdue Finds. Overdue Finds is an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Carolyn Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's services, including what programs you can access from home during the pandemic. To listen and to find out more about Overdue Finds, head to epl.ca slash podcast. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation and the Well-Endowed Podcast. On the latest episode, they talked to Boyle Street Community Services, Alberta Health Services, and the Boyle Macaulay Health Center to look at the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on people who experience homelessness in Edmonton. To listen and to find out more about all of ECF's work in the community, head to thewellendowedpodcast.com. All right, everyone, where we normally do the listings, of course, there's nothing happening live. If you know about something from local performers or companies that we should give a shout out to, please let us know. In the show notes, we will also have links to Peter Brown's website and the Dynasty YouTube channel. Um, you can also find weekly episodes at dynastyimprov.com. Uh, I think that we said .org in the interview, so but it's dynastyimprov.com. And when we say dynasty, we mean D-I-E nasty. Um, that's, uh, that's how it's all spelled for all of those things. So, um, also the, um, the part, the link for the live episode that they will be doing as part of the National Arts Center Canada performs, that's going to be on April 27th at 4 PM mountain time. And that's going to be on the dynasty Facebook page. Uh, so we will also share the link for that too. Yeah. So thank you again so much to Peter Brown for chatting with us today. Um, yeah, go watch some shows, everyone from the safety of your home Wi-Fi. Uh, and if you can, send those artists a donation. They sure could use it. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinoff. 